When I first started college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. What did I want to study? Like, all of it. All I know is I wanted to make a change in the world. I had no idea how, so I started to research female leaders who fought for change, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg was one of the women that I found. She fought for change and what she believed in all her life. She used a framework of being powerful and building connections to continue to push for the change she wanted to see. And that really resonated with me. Her love and passion for law and policy inspired me to work in the policy arena and to fight for a change there. And I did. RBG is a role model to me, regardless of how you view her politics. I appreciate her as a human. She believed in her future and fought for the change she wanted to see in the world, which inspires me every single day to do the exact same. Rest in peace, RBG. You deserve it. Much love. To fully answer the question what RBG has meant to me and the impact that she's had on my life is first to reflect and to understand not just the impact that she had on constitutional law, but also the gravity of the impact of her stature as an American icon. As someone who's beginning his law school journey and to become a lawyer, Ruth Bader Ginsburg informed my constitutional perspective. Justice Ginsburg saw the Constitution not as something that could limit what our country could be, but rather as the roadmap that would lead to an American society that would bestow equality to everyone, equal access, equal opportunity, and equal protection under the law. Justice Ginsburg understood the Constitution better than most, but she also understood the systems and the society in which it exists. She knew that we couldn't just win the legal fights, but we also had to win the cultural fights. She knew that we couldn't just change the law without changing the feelings and the opinions and the sentiments of the public. Look no further for evidence of that than the dissenting opinions that she's written that never struck a harsh chord towards the opposition, but rather took the opportunity to educate and share the human impact of these legal decisions with the opposition. So that when we didn't win the legal fight, we still made a little ground on the cultural fight. And most personally, both legally and culturally, I have benefited from the work of Justice Ginsburg. As a gay man and as a brother to five sisters, the work that Justice Ginsburg did as a lawyer in the 1970s and her arguments to the Supreme Court fundamentally altered the way in which the American people and the law saw equality. Not something that provided special accommodations for certain populations of Americans, but rather as equality is meaning the same. The legal decisions that were perpetuated by that decision have directly impacted me as a gay man who has the right to marry and has given civil liberties and freedoms to women and minority populations across this country. I think that for generations we'll be forever indebted to Justice Ginsburg and words will never be able to do justice to, to the legacy that she leaves behind, but I am forever indebted and forever grateful. Welcome to Dangerously Likely. For our loyal listeners, this podcast is probably going to sound a little different. Um, I'm sure you guys are used to our laughter and our banter at this point, but today we're going to take a pause. Something really serious has happened in our country that Caleb and I both thought was worth talking about. We lost the Honorable Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So you just heard at the beginning of this episode from uh, two listeners, also friends of ours, um, Darren McFadden and Torrance Witherspoon, um, and their thoughts and their feelings about how Ruth Bader Ginsburg impacted them in their lives. Um, Honestly, Terrell, 
this is a different type of episode than we're normally doing. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm not really sure what this is going to look like. I'm not sure how we do this one. Yeah. Um, I really think it's harder because we've had time to process this a little bit and the conversation at large has just been so focused on her seat and what is going to happen with the Supreme court that, um, I remember when we first got the news, I text you and it, it very much feels what you mentioned of, we haven't had time to really mourn her, but just fill this void, if you will, um, across the country, recognizing that all of these political things are happening external to the person. Yeah. You know, I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's really disheartening. Like, RBG was such an inspiration to so many people. She was the second woman on the Supreme Court um, and has been on the Supreme Court since 1993, which is pretty incredible. Um, and I think I think what's hard about that is, is she was such a pioneer um, for women's rights, for equality, uh, et cetera. And um, the minute she died, I mean, you have the Senate Majority Leader just announcing, oh, we're going to get we're going to, we're going to nominate somebody like right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of, okay, like let's, let's mourn her death. Yeah. You know, I, it, it's just kind of, I mean, the whole country was that way. It, it wasn't, it wasn't just the majority leader. I'm sure a lot of people mourned her in their own way, but in terms of like the media and stuff, like it yeah. was, okay, what are the politics? Immediate reaction was, what are the politics of this? Yeah. You know? um, and I think, you look at this year has been filled with loss from entertainment and politics and just individual people's lives. And um, there was a quote that someone shared. I can't remember who, if I'm being completely honest, it was a celebrity. Um, and they mentioned how we as a people, our culture has started to immortalize certain individuals, RBG being one of them and how much stress that had to put on her as a person and how much that pressure always felt of, we need you to make it a couple more years. You have to yeah. make it to the election and how it, it has to be on us at some point to not fill her shoes per se, but really step up and show up for her. I agree. And you know, that, that immediate reaction, um, I think it just kind of shows how dark kind of the American soul has become hmm. um, and just how fast her death became a conversation on vacancy yeah, and not about the amazing life that she led and the impact that she, the positive impact that she had on so many people. Yeah. And maybe that's where, this podcast takes us. Maybe we focus a little bit on that of um, just being able to have listeners who shared the impact she had on them. Maybe we take this opportunity to talk about the impact she's had from her early years and her space on the Supreme Court, but just at large, like what other Supreme Court justice can you think of that has a movie made after them and is yeah. modeled after Notorious B.I.G. Like, yeah, maybe that's where we focus.
I like it. Yeah, I think that's what we should do. So I know I shared a quote from some celebrity, but there's one quote from RBG that I really think speaks to the magnitude that she had on the country um, and can kind of set the tone for how we speak about her as we move forward. Um, She wrote this when she talked about why she wrote Descents and what impacts they had, and it just really spoke to me. Um, So as she wrote, Descents speak to the future age. It is not simply to say my colleagues are wrong and I would do it this way. But the greatest dissent does become court opinion, and gradually over time, their view becomes the dominant view. So to close this out, I think it is only right to read one or two of her great dissents and maybe just see if that becomes the opinion of the country. So now we're going to talk about a case that RBG um, dissented on, and it's Little Sister of the Poor versus Pennsylvania. And this case happened literally this past July mm-hmm. this year, 2020, um, just a few months before her, her death. Um, what's noteworthy about this case is that Ginsburg heard the arguments while she was in the hospital, which is pretty amazing. This case was a 7-2 decision that upheld a Trump administration rule that greatly um, broadened uh, this religious exemption to the contraceptive mandate under the Affordable Care Act, or some of you may know it as Obamacare, which means that employers who have a sincerely held religious or moral objection, which is in, in quotes, can opt out of this mandate, which means that employers... Um, that have certain religious beliefs that where they don't believe in contraception can can decline to be covered under this mandate. So women who work for them um, don't get contraception if like as an employee. Yeah. Um, so broadening this exemption um, could actually result in over 125,000 women losing their mandated contraceptive coverage. Hmm. Um, and something kind of interesting about the dissent from RBG is that um, she claimed that the balance between religion and health, with the balance between religion and health, uh, this decision was uh, skewing it towards um, kind of the religious exemptions, meaning skewing it against women's health specifically, which I found quite fascinating. So now Terrell is going to read you an excerpt from this dissent. Yeah, and I appreciate that last piece because... I, I think back to when we were in elementary school and we talked about the separation of powers and separation of church and state. Um, and I think she does a really good job of hitting on that with this um, dissent. So I will just read it. Justice Ginsburg, with whom Justice Sotomayor joins dissenting. In accommodating claims of religious freedom, this court has taken a balanced approach one that does not allow the religious belief of some to overwhelm the rights and interests of others who do not share those beliefs. Today, for the first time, the court casts totally aside countervailing rights and interests in its zeal to secure religious rights to the nth degree. Specifically, in the Women's Health Amendment to the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, Congress undertook to afford 
gainfully employed women, comprehensive, seamless, no cost insurance coverage for preventative care protective for their health and well being. Destructive of the Women's Health Amendment, this court leaves women workers to fend for themselves, to seek contraceptive coverage from sources other than their employer's insurance, and absent another available source of funding, to pay for contraceptive services out of their own pocket. The Constitution's Free Exercise Clause, all agree, does not call for the imbalance result. I therefore dissent from the court's judgment under which, as the government estimates, between 70,500 and 126,400 women would immediately lose access to no-cost contraceptive services. On the merits, I would affirm the judgment of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. So, Caleb, I also think we should review one other case that really hits to the core of everything that she did from her time when she was uh, working as an attorney all the way into Supreme Court. Um, Above all else, Justice Ginsburg was focused on equality and um, women's equality specifically. So I think it wouldn't do her justice to not mention the Ledbetter v. Goodyear case that happened in 2007. It was a five to four decision that ruled employees lose their right to sue for pay discrimination if they don't bring the claim to the court within 180 days of the employer's pay decision. Specifically, this was a case of a female going against her organization. Some context on this case. Lily Ledbetter worked for Goodyear for 20 years and regularly received a raise. Then, For three years, she didn't. She received an anonymous note that let her know her male equivalents were making more than her and found that she made about $15,000 less than the lowest paid male employee at her job with the same title. So she sued. What is so unique about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dissent for this case is she highlighted the key distinction between pay discrimination and discrimination of other kinds and how hard it is to detect. It is nearly impossible to see right away, but you can see over time as an employer makes successive pay decisions that push women's salaries further and further behind her male peers, that there is discrimination occurring. Under this ruling, she argued, this kind of discrimination would be allowed to continue. And for that, I think, Caleb, you can read her dissent. All right. The court's insistence on immediate contest overlooks common characteristics of pay discrimination. Pay disparities often occur, as they did in Ledbetter's case, in small increments, cause to suspect that discrimination is at work develops only over time. Comparative pay information, moreover, is often hidden from the employee's view. Employers may keep under wraps the pay differentials maintained among supervisors, no less the reasons for those differentials. Small initial discrepancies may not be seen as meat for a federal case, particularly when the employee trying to succeed in a non-traditional environment is averse to making waves. 
pay disparities are thus significantly different from adverse actions, such as, in quote, such as termination, failure to promote, or refusal to hire, end quote, all involving fully communicated discrete acts, begin, quote, easy to identify, end quote, as discriminatory. It is only when the disparity becomes apparent and sizable, like through future raises calculated as a percentage of current salaries, that an employee in Ledbetter situation is likely to comprehend her plight and therefore to complain. Her initial readiness to give her employer the benefit of the doubt should not preclude her from later challenging the then current and continuing payment of a wage depressed on account of her sex. So what do we say now? I think, I think there's not much to say. Um, her words spoke very true to that quote that we were able to share at the start that we can only hope that her opinion, her dissent becomes that majority opinion and taking out the politics and taking out the arguments of where the Supreme Court might lie, those words very well can be the words of the people and that can be the change. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg is an icon and I think she will be at least for honestly uh, from here on out i think she's an icon not only in our history as americans but also just in our culture too um rest in power rbg absolutely i think the the only piece i'll add is i think to her life i think to the words that she shared and Again, not to bring politics in, but I think to the fact that her closest friend on the bench was Scalia. And in a time where America feels as divided as it has ever felt since the Civil War, she is a constant reminder that there is hope and there is a space to lean on. Um, that there's still some commonality between all of us, whether we agree or disagree on policy is up for question. But at the end of the day, there is still humanity that we can lean on. So very much like you should, you said, rest in power, RPG. I want you to use my words against me. If there's a Republican president in 2016 and a vacancy occurs in the last year of the first term, you can say, Lindsey Graham said, let's let the next president, who it, whoever it might be, make that nomination. And you could use my words against me and you'd be absolutely right. We're setting a precedent here today, Republicans are, that in the last year, at least of a lame duck eight-year term, I would say it's going to be a four-year term, that you're not going to fill a vacancy of the Supreme Court based on what we're doing here today. That's going to be the new rule.